Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good day so far. Lots going on. Lots mm. going on. Uh, including Oilers news, Bruce. Yeah. Something from about uh, him being a distinct possibility to sign with the Edmonton Oilers. So we will, from a team insider, Bob Stoffer. We will talk about that, Bruce. We will also right. talk about uh, our keep, hold, and fold or fold series in in regards to the future of Edmonton Oilers players. And we were looking at a number of forwards most recently, Chase on Kara, Ennis, and Shayan. You're going to be writing about, we're both going to be writing about goalie Mike Smith. And um, there's also some trade rumors buzzing around, such as um, Chase on for Bjork. So we'll probably cover that when we talk about... Uh, chase on for Anders Bjork of Buffalo another rumor kind of buzzing around and I'm not sure where this comes from although I saw it being discussed and I was discussing it um Brett Connolly of the Florida Panthers for Zach Cassian of the Edmonton Oilers which was an interesting idea mm. uh, I'm just going to turn on my light here Bruce but so why don't we start with do you want to just say what Stoffer's saying in his tweet are you prepared to do you have that up uh, I'll say that and then we'll get your reaction here's okay. what Stoffer tweeted he said, quote, distinct possibility that we see Yessa Pugliarvi return to Edmonton Oilers on a short-term deal. New GM head coach since Pugliarvi was last in Edmonton. Pugliarvi's agency has merged with Connor McDavid's agency. Oilers would have six right wings. Could result in a right wing being moved for a left wing. Mm. All right, so uh, just go ahead, Bruce. I'm just going to turn that light on. What's your take? Yeah, well, certainly it's good news if uh, uh, if they finally built that bridge from uh, from Finland to Edmonton again. And uh, uh, as uh, Bob Stoffer says, I mean, there's a new GM, there's a new uh, coach that was in place last year and still in place uh, now that uh, don't connect to Pugliarvi's prior time. Uh, there's also been uh, a change of agents, apparently. Pugliarvi is now represented by the same firm as Connor McDavid. That same may possibly, agent. That same agent, yeah. So that but, may... A different firm. That same agent, different firm. Well, Marcus Leto joined, same agent, Marcus Leto, but he joined a new... He, they oh, merged I, with a oh, new okay. firm. Oh, okay. I got Does that it. that make so, sense? So they're represented by the same firm, even as late. Yeah. Oh, okay. different, anyway, different, that, yeah, yeah. that oh, might yeah. help. Same firm as McDavid. Yeah. That might help build a little bit of a bridge because some of the, some of those stories, of course, were that uh, Pugliarvi's issues were not just necessarily with management and coaching, but it might've been within the team. So hopefully there's a, uh, a little better basis for understanding there. Uh, Short term contract entirely expected that he would sign a one year deal, frankly, uh, and uh, the price should be pretty reasonable because he doesn't have a lot of options. He doesn't have, uh, uh, he can't go to arbitration. He's at the end of his, um, of his entry-level contract. So he'll be due a 5% raise on 925000 Call it a million bucks. And the orders might sweeten that a little bit, but uh, I don't see them going even as high as 1.5 that reportedly they were asking for he's you know he's still in the prove it stage and this will be a huge year for him if he comes back to prove it that he's an NHLer and maybe that he's a long-term solution for the Edmonton Oilers or maybe that he's got the skill and talent to play in this league but uh, uh, they'll agree at the end of the year or during the year to move on from him but uh, far better position to do that seeing him in the NHL playing against other NHLers as opposed to highlight reels from from uh, Finnish leagues, especially this is, Finnish exhibition games against yeah. uh, questionable opponents. <laughs> Let's not get into the quality of the opponents. <laughs> yeah. Kurt got in a little hot water, I think, uh, for suggesting that, uh, here I'm getting into it a little bit, but Kurt got into a little bit of hot water for just, for suggesting that the, the finish, I think Kurt meant that this tournament that, that Pulley RV was in and the highlight reels were coming from was was kind of like a high senior league in Canada or something like that. 
because it was they were playing against like a div two or three team in a three on three game. So some of the highlight reel stuff was kind of from really low competition. It saw you know Pulleyarvi shred the other team, go up the middle of the ice and score a goal. But the Finnish league itself is the oh, yeah. you know the the it's equivalent. It's a close equivalent to the AHL in terms it's of it's AHL. It's AHL caliber. I can tell you that the uh, NHL equivalencies, uh, which translate points in other leagues to NHL and that's a way of comparing the leagues because the uh, the equivalency for the AHL I believe is 0. 0.40 and for SM Liga is 0. 0.37 so clearly they're pretty close to one another when it comes to that that kind of thing so that that at least is a allows you to take the temperature and say it's you know fairly equivalent to the AHL another temperature uh, reading came from the world championships recently where <laughs> a group of players from that league uh, won the butt. world championship against a group of elite Canadian players who are probably good enough if you put them on a team would have won the Stanley Cup. So um, I think that's how good that Canadian team was. They usually are. They have that level of talent. The, the thing is, I think there's maybe a lot of variation. Maybe there's more variation in the Finnish league where there's some really, really good players, but there's also weaker players. Anyway, um, Bruce, there's yeah, a couple guy, points. Uh, Kiviranta was on that team, eh? Oh, is Just that right? another no-name. Kivaranta. Everybody knows his name now. Uh, I, I just want to stress a few things here. Holland uh, has played this really well. Um, mm-hmm. if, if if he's getting Pugliarvi back, I don't. I was hopeful at one point that, you know, if the draft had been earlier before the playoffs and there hadn't been a lot of other free agents involved, a lot of trade material involved because the playoffs were coming, Pugliarvi's value might have been at an all-time high then. But heading into this draft, it looked like the orders would not be able to, I'm guessing, just like at most a second and maybe a third round pick for Pugliarvi. They weren't going to get anything more than that, which is really low value for a player that still, we don't know if he might right. still be a top six winger in the NHL. Again, he's had good results with McDavid in a really small sample size or a relatively small sample size, but very good results. We've seen all seen his talent, his size, his puck handling ability. I think he's got good vision on the ice for making a pass. And I also think he's a responsible defensive player. I think the questions about his, you know, maybe they want him to be a different player. But I, I don't, like, I think he, in terms of his on-ice vision and his reading offensive reads of the game, I think they're actually strong. Um, I like this player a lot. And so good value and good move by Pugliarvi in the end, too, to to get his, you know, the Oilers were going to lose him. Everyone seems to forget this. If Pugliarvi had come back, like everyone was so offended that that didn't happen. The owners would have lost him because they had run out of options with him. Either was he oh. was going to make the team last fall, Bruce, mm-hmm. and and that I don't think that was going to happen. Tippett had to win, and I don't see right. Pulleyarvi coming back from injury, having bad confidence with the Oilers. That wasn't going to happen. They would have had to send him to the minors, and they couldn't they couldn't do that without exposing him to waivers. So th- there was no good options last fall with this player. Um, so Pugliarvi created that in a way by forcing it, going back, getting healthy again after hip surgery, double hip surgery, having a good year. And Holland then didn't budge. He didn't waver. He held on to the player, hoping he coaxed him back. It looks like that's happening. Huge win, I think, if that happens for Ken Holland. And I hope a win for Yasa Pugliarvi because I think he's in a much better position. And to get to your point, you know, the that he didn't fit on in any of the Oilers, you know, in, 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 in what that, what I would say the sentence that describes that is Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl wanted to play with each other. They didn't want to play with a Yesipuli RV and, or other wingers necessarily. So that didn't work out. Now McDavid's in a different position looking for wingers and Pulley RV might be a decent fit. And I'm not saying he should be gifted the job. I'm saying right. he might be a dis- decent fit and a good idea to try him there. Yeah, well, I think he slots uh, somewhere into the top nine, and whether that's third line, second line, first line, I mean, what we've seen in the recent years is, you know, uh, what Shirelli calls churn, guys moving up and down the the lineup, and and they get their chances, right? I mean, last year, uh, one of Tippett's default positions was to move Josh Archibald up with McDavid. Well, if he's got pull the RB option, he's going to try it. Yeah, I didn't like that one. Yeah, well, Arch, Arch did, is okay. Did, did some good stuff and some, uh, some, uh, uh, you know, I mean, he was in some extent 
a fish out of water on the first line. Um, so anyway, it would just uh, open up another another option for uh, see what fits, right? And I mean, you never know. I mean, last year uh, they tried Yamamoto with dry saddle, and it fits so well they never changed it, right? So, and you know that if Yamamoto had struggled for any length of time there, he would have got shuffled around as well, but didn't need to because he was ready. So I think now Pugliarvi's by the time they start playing again, he's going to be almost two years older than when he played his last game for the Oilers back in February of, uh, of uh, 2019. And I think uh, as important in some ways is that any teammates that he had in the past, they're also going to be two years older. And there's going to be yeah. you know, a gap, and that gap in time where maybe they weren't getting on each other's nerves or whatever the heck it was. And you know, I just expect more maturity on all sides of the equation. And uh, that was, you know, one thing. I think it's fair to say that Pugliarvi being brought over as a 18-year-old from northern Finland, I mean, it wasn't reasonable to expect a, a fully mature player, and he got rushed over, and that was, you know, the mistake of of Oilers management primarily. You know, I liked him when he first came on that line with Dreisaitl and Maroon. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, not to be... Uh, you know, I wonder, like, if he's an interesting player to play with McDavid, and I'm getting back to this, and I know a lot of people hate this this very thought, but um, the results were real over 400 even strength minutes, a 61% goals for percentage, lots of shots on net. Mm-hmm. And um, it, when you think about it, what, maybe why did that work a little bit? Um, I, I think if you're going to have those two together, what, what you'd need to do is to have a third player. It's not it's not going to be like the Yamamoto dry saddle um, Nugent Hopkins line, where it's give and go, they're all reading off each other constantly, covering for each other, uh, moving the puck constantly. That's not how this line would work, I don't think. But it would be more like two guys, Pugliarvi and Mc, especially McDavid, dominating the puck, going after the puck, and one guy kind of in the high slot, cr- crashing the net now and then, as made sense, uh, but covering for them defensively, right. as those two guys kind of combined to make plays and is Pugliarvi at that level where he could be that player you know get in there hard get in get the puck work with McDavid um, to make plays I I think there's a chance and I think we saw that to some extent already when they were together which is why they had success Pugliarvi may be more ready to be that player so you know and again I'm not saying you hand that to him or anything like that I'm just saying it makes sense to give that in in terms of the things you're going to try and the churn you talked about this is mm-hmm. the one of the things that you move to right. during due diligence with your team. You, you just like it's you had to move Nugent Hopkins away from center. Due diligence put him on the wing, and that that seems to have worked out. No one's talking about trading Nugent Hopkins anymore. So you you try things out, you see if they work. Mm-hmm. Well, you put Nuge on the left wing, and then you got to you potentially have a killer line, or or uh, yeah, I'm thinking. What you don't do is maybe put James Neal on that line. You want a guy that can skate and and, and look after the defensive side side of things. And uh, you know, I'm still kind of liking Joachim Nigard as a yeah, as a dark horse of a guy who might be able to fill a an important role as a third wheel with wheels on the line. Although bad news uh, today, I read a report that Nigard broke the same finger. That oh, ruined he? his season last oh. year, and he's out four to six weeks with uh, uh, this broken finger now in the Swedish league. Which is I didn't know he was playing. A bummer all the way around. Yeah, he got he got loaned over there just after. Uh, well, he got loaned over there first actually because oh, he had right. missed yeah. all that time, and then uh, Haas got loaned over there. Now Patrick Russell's over there. They found homes for Lavoie, Benson. They were just moving guys willy-nilly over the over it's to great. Europe. Great. It is, I, I, I don't mind it at all, but the risk you take, of course, that they might get hurt. And this same finger, I mean, how sh- crappy is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, really save that, I'll save that word for when it's really important. But yeah. how bad a break is that? I mean, come on, hockey gourds. Well, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be his leg or something like that. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Bruce, let's uh, talk about the other aspect of Stoffer's uh, tweet um, mm. that um, this this notion of trading a right wing for a uh, left wing 
Mm-hmm. And um, let me just go here, Bruce. Let's go down the, the roster. Because it's kind of hard to figure out who the right wings and left wings are on the others because they move around a bit. Because as far I think Russell, yep. definitely Neil, definitely Archibald, um, all played. Did Chase on sometimes? No, he's usually the right winger. Um, but Drysaddle, when he's on the wing, can play either wing. So there's a number of guys who kind of shift around in their positions. Right. But right now at right wing, I have Yamamoto, Cassian, Chase on, Russell, plus Archibald and Archibald. Neil, who sometimes play right wing. Or mm-hmm. Archibald, excuse me, most often plays right wing. Yep. And then you have finally um, Pulley-Arvey. Six guys, yeah. That's actually, if you include, is that one, two, three, four? That's seven, if you include Pulley-Arvey. Well, if you include Neil, yeah, you know, six you right shot, Neil. six right shot wingers. Yeah, I mean, if you that's how Neil. I just base okay. them, righty or lefty. And, and so some Neil, of the... Neil likes to play right wing, yeah. but there's obviously no no room at the end there for him, and lots of room on the left wing, so he'll stay over there. But uh, this thought that they might trade out a right winger for a left wing, uh, it may gather. You know, it's there's been stuff in the in the rumor mill but uh if pulley rv is coming over that may trigger some kind of uh of action so some of the rumors have we we've heard uh and i and i can't remember is the right word the the what's the uh the providence of the rumor i guess like where it comes from Pro- provenance provenance i was going to say etymology of the rumor that's is, what is they that say also? on antiques roadshow provenance yes. the provenance of the rumor is not mm-hmm. these rumors i don't i i think they have been discussed on oilers now which is kind of like my litmus test for well bob sometimes likes to stir the pot pot right. as well but it's kind of a litmus test you know he's obviously the most well-connected oilers insider who works for the team right. so i think it's been discussed there but anyway chase on uh, Alex Chason for Anders Bjork. And another mm-hmm. one I heard it talked about was Brett Connolly, a, a right winger for the Florida Panthers for Zach Cassian. Mm-hmm. What do you think of those two uh, rumors, Bruce? Well, well, I think the Chason for Bork, Bjork uh, idea, if you're really talking righty for lefty, that's the one that actually fills both ends of that bill. Yeah. And uh, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm a booster of Alex Chason. I like him, and I, uh, I am in the. It seems like the minority. Everybody so hates the contracts of some of these guys that they, 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 they almost just sort of write them off, and it drives me nuts sometimes. I mean, yeah, me too. Alex Chason, he was great in the net front role last year. Absolutely tremendous, and I've got the numbers to to back it up. The Oilers power play had a had a a 40 year high in the NHL for conversion rate. And they basically ran two units, one with Chase on, one with Neil, all the other guys the same. And the Chase on unit significantly outscored the uh, the Neil unit, even though Neil himself popped a bunch of power play goals. When Chase on was out there, what tended to happen was he crowded the net front, he paid attention to business, very disciplined, screened the goalie, occupied defensemen, create lanes behind behind. And when you have guys like McDavid, Drysidle and Nugent Hopkins making cross-ice passes to one another through those lanes. Good things happen. And Drysidle himself, of course, popped a ton of power play goals on that unit, which on the other unit, Neil was the one that was getting more of the goals. But I think the the the, uh, the chase on, it's like having a great offensive lineman, you know, and everybody sees the quarterback make the pass and the receiver make the catch, and they don't ever think about the lineman. But if you don't have a good offensive line, you're toast. Are you and, calling and him Chase the An- was- Are you calling him the Anthony Munoz of the Edmonton Oilers? Oh yeah, exactly. That's my vintage with the NFL. I, I haven't watched it in you know, uh-huh. a long time, but I did. Yeah, watch he it. was a terrific O lineman. Yeah, I call him the Charlie Turner of the Edmonton Oilers. You know, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's keep it local here. You know, now, Charlie still. I found out Charlie's still alive, and he still lives in Edmonton. Eighty-five years old now. That is going way. <laughs> I go back, like I could say, I could tell you the probably the starting lineup of the 1980s Eskimos, but Charlie Turner, right. wow, that's uh, that's uh, some 70s stuff. Soon you're going to be yeah. you're going to be regaling us uh, of the yeah. stories of Bruce. Well, what was mandatory his name? Bruce, Bruce Letterman was that his name? Bruce Lemmerman, yeah. Limmer, Limmerman. Lemmerman. 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 Anyway, so what do you think of Chase on? You're you're not 
Chase on. Well, I like Chase. I like Chase on. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his contract, but I don't hate it with the heat of a thousand suns like some people seem to. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I mean, the Lucic contract. That's one to hate. You know, the the Russell contract. That's one not not to like because of the long term nature of it. There's a big difference between seven years at six million or four times four versus two times two. I mean, you're, you're getting down into the in a league where the average salary is like three million, uh, uh, paying a, a veteran depth guy who has significant function on one of the special teams and and performed well in a depth role at even strength, like that's not a problem to me. I, I didn't mind it, and I thought he, you know, I thought he is. I mean, his his numbers went down in terms of you know goals and assists. He had that career year, which is of course what triggered that contract, the twenty-two goal year. But I thought he basically cover the bet, frankly. Uh, Anders Bjork, on the other hand, uh, he's younger. He's just uh, He just turned 24. He's smaller, 6 feet 190. Uh, he played, he was only a fifth round draft choice uh, back in 2014. But after three years playing for Notre Dame, where he became a very good scorer, 52 points in his last year in Notre Dame, a very good college hockey, uh, he came up with the Bruins, and in each of his first three years, he played time in both the NHL and the AHL. Uh, the problem being that he suffered season-ending injuries uh, early in the new year of both his first two seasons, which kind of set the guy back a little bit. But this year, he played 58 games in the NHL, just seven in the AHL, and 19 points, nine goals, 10 assists, so really not that different from Chason's scoring rate. Uh, and uh, he played 10 playoff games, one point. And he was a healthy scratch some of the time. So, you know, he's on the border of the roster. But in July, uh, Boston signed him to a three-year extension at $1.6 million. So that's what you're taking on. It's, you know, Jason's got one year to go at $2.15 million. Bjork's got three years to go. I mean, the, the good news, I guess, is that Boston liked the guy enough to sign him for that. And, I mean, it's the last thing they did with him. It's not like it's a contract that they now regret and they want to move away from as if he was, uh, let's say, Brandon Manning or Ryan Spooner. He's a guy they just signed. That's the last thing they did. So clearly they, they have hopes for him, that they gave him a nice yeah, raise, they, a three-year deal. But that's the commitment you'd be signing on to for a guy that really is still just proving himself as an NHL player. But he is a lefty. He plays left wing. Hadn't they just kind of signed Spooner like a year earlier too to a big deal? Uh, and, like two months earlier. Yeah, so Sp they were pretty high on Spooner as well. He had the Boston oh. stamp of approval. Bruce, I would say this. Um, Bjork's and Chason's even strength scoring wasn't that different. Mm -hmm. Chason's even strength scoring is abysmal. Like it's like it's right, you know, the lowest level. He's a fourth line forward definitely when you go by even strength scoring. If if all he was was a fourth line winger and didn't have that power play cachet, I would you know you'd definitely yeah. be moving him out because he's not he's not a great even strength player. He's he's he, like I thought he he's the kind of player though that Eastern Conference teams you hear about all these Eastern Conference teams now wanting physicality, bigger players, players that can crash and bash, and this is you know you're hearing Cassian wanted in the East possibly. We're hearing uh, Chase on. That's really interesting. And when we think about the playoffs this year, Cassian didn't do well, but Chase on Neil and Kara was a very effective line or an effective line, um, at least for the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs this year. And Chase on Bruce, I I just love his his uh, hockey IQ on the power play. He has he has figured out exactly what that power play unit needed which was to get as close as humanly possible to that goalie. And when the puck's above the goal line, to stay there in that spot. Right. Not, to, not, to, not to try to become the shooting option, not to you know get fancy and look for the one-timer pass, but just to crowd that goalie and be enough of a threat with his stick welded to the ice that a pass can come in and he can put it in the net so they can't ignore him. They've, they've got, he pulls defensemen to him. And that opened up those seams like nothing else this year. That that is brilliant and gutsy. That's really hard to do in the NHL. You got to have a lot of, you take a lot of hits, you take a lot of abuse doing that, and he did it. So for that reason, he was a he was an he was integral to the Oilers' power play success this year. And to to think about moving out a guy like that, who also in the playoffs can be a, this rugged guy on your fourth line. 
I'm not so sure I want to move him, especially for a player in Anders Bjork who's a lot smaller and whose points per game, at least initially in the NHL, isn't that much better than Chason's uh, at even strength. So it's it's marginally better, but it's not much better over the last two years. Now, probably last year, Bjork's is, because uh, Chason's really crashed last year. So Bjork probably did quite a bit better than them this year. But I don't know. Like, do I see Bjork as an answer? Like, I, I haven't seen the player play, so I can only say so much. But it, I have seen Chase on play, so I'm hesitant to see him moved. As for Cassian versus Connolly, Brett Connolly is um, an, a, a very strong, even strength point scorer in the NHL the last two years. I think he ranks in the top 90, which would place him as a top line forward in the NHL. Right. Um, during that time period. And he didn't always play with top line mates. Um, he, he ranks 78th, 2.2 points per game burst. That's really an attractive notion. Um, Cassian has the big contract. Um, the, well, it's the, the same, ab- though, really, as Conley. Yeah, not, not that different. And the thing about it is you, you lose Zach Cassian and the physicality he has. The, the menace that he has, the enf- uh, enforcer who can play. Um, I'm not so sure you would make that. Uh, God, I know that I know that Cass- Cassian did nothing in the playoffs this year, and he did nothing after signing his contract, essentially. Pretty much. And I know that that contract, he's he's overpaid by a million a year. Mm-hmm. But I uh, and Connolly really can score at even strength, so that's one that gives me like think you again. I need to know more about Connolly. And, and have a more clear vision of his defensive play, which I know nothing right. about. Right. But Cassian is a very useful hockey player. And I disagree. And again, some people hate the contract so much that they can't see past that. But there's a, Zach Cassian offers a lot to the Edmonton Oilers, and I'd be hesitant to move him as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of Cassian's defensive play, and I don't know much about Conley's defensive play. I mean, obviously, the, the numbers that, that we see, at least the first first glance ones are on the offensive side of the puck but you know the last four years uh, I don't think very much power play at all 15 15 22 19 goals so yeah. that's a pretty nice complimentary score and that's a guy that could wind up in your in your top six now uh, yeah so you think he, about it he is a he is a right winger uh he's a uh he's a mature player now too I mean he's 28 years old he was a First round, number six overall draft pick in 2010. Well, it's 10 years later, and he's still, you know, he's now established himself certainly as a full-time NHLer. Uh, I don't know how much higher his upside is going to be than what he's shown already. Yeah, let's just look at the, uh, so around him, it's interesting, the players around him, when you look at uh, even strength scoring the last two years, the players around him are Zach Hyman, who plays with really good line mates in Toronto, Anthony Mantha, who carries the, you know, all the freight in Detroit, Jesper Bratt, Andre Burakovsky, Brian Rust, Andre Svechnikov, and Cam Atkinson. So a real variety of players um, scoring. This is, this is, you know, kind of ranked in the 70th for forwards, even strength scoring the last uh, two years. So that's a, that's an interesting group of players. And it's kind of the kind of guy that you'd be thinking would fit in with McDavid. Now, if Connolly is a really sharp defensive hockey player, and he may be, I can't, you know, then then that trade would be, I think you'd, you might check it off as a yes. Because I agree with you that as much as Cassian can help you on the attack and his physical menace is, you know, second to very few other players in the NHL, his defensive play, like if he had that defensive, strong, super strong defensive element to his game, if he had developed that over the years, He'd be much more of a keep, like it would be much easier to say, oh, definitely we're going to keep him because you can, he could be that guy, you know, with Pulley-Arvey, well, Pulley-Arvey's on the wrong win, but, you know, two, you'd have two attackers, McDavid and another winger, and then Cassian would cover for him, but he's not that guy necessarily who's going to cover for you. So that's an interesting one. Bruce, we, do you have anything more or do you want to move on to the uh, No, let's, uh, let's uh, move forward. Keep Hold or fold on mm-hmm. Tyler Ennis and Riley Shane, who are both UFAs. Where do you come out? Let's start with uh, Ennis. Where do you come out on him? Well, on on both of them, really, you have like 
real solid NHL veteran guys with 500 plus games under their belt, uh, who at least had finished the season with Edmonton uh, at under a million dollars. So from an economic standpoint, you're not really going to do much better than that. You go out and sign another veteran when well, you're not going to get them for cheaper. So what you need to do is go out and get a veteran who's a better player. That's not going to cost a lot more. And in the case of, uh, of, uh, of Ennis, in the time that we saw him, uh, he was a, you know an opportunistic scorer. I think he had three goals, three assists in 12 games as an oiler. Of course, the last we saw of him, he was getting helped off the ice after I uh, got crunched into the boards and wrecking his yeah. ankle, uh, fractured ankle and ligament damage. And so the first question would be, which you and I don't know the answer to, but I bet the Oilers do, is what's the, you know, what's the time frame of his return from that? You know, I mean, his, this happened on August the 5th, I guess it was. So by the time they're playing games again, it'll probably be five months after that. So. You would think that's probably enough time, but uh, if there's any questions about his physical well-being, uh, he's an unrestricted free agent. You know, you, you, there's no big reason to roll the dice unless you have a real solid source that he's, you know, raring to go or, you know, he might be ready to go early in the season, but you can stash him on IR until you're ready to put him in there. But, you know, there's you don't owe him any favors or anything like that. And he's, you know, he's not under contract and he... So if there are other options available, they may well wait and see what yeah. comes on the market because we're going to see a lot of action in a very short time. On Between October 6th and 9th, we're going to have the draft on the 6th and 7th, and then the really key deadline to me is the qualifying offer deadline on October 7th. And after that day, you're going to find guys that you didn't expect. You know, you can look at the UFA list all you want. There's going to be new guys added to the UFA list who are unqualified RFAs who didn't get a qualifying offer, a la uh, last year, uh, Josh Archibald, right? He got, they thought, I thought for sure thing is that uh, uh, Arizona would re-sign the guy, but I guess they were concerned not just about um, uh you know, qualifying him, but that he might take him to arbitration and he might make more than they uh, uh, than they wanted to give him. So they just let him walk. And and so and that's with a lot of these RFAs that uh, that uh, arbitration hammer is a big deal that I would think every NHL team would want to avoid arbitration at all costs because it's. Um, it's just an unknown. You make a qualifying offer to the guy. We talked about this with Asnesiu. You make a qualifying offer to the guy, and the guy says, well, I think, you know, over the course of my last contract, I did better than that. I want to take it to arbitration. And the arbitrator, we don't know yet if he's going to rule based on past precedents or if there's going to be some kind of a uh, uh, suppression of the uh, raise is just based on the fact that the overall salary cap is, is uh, frozen and, you know, there's not as much room to. But once it's in the arbitrator's hands, you don't know that until he dishes out his results and then you have to live with it. So they, uh, I think you're going to find it more than a few teams. I mean, this is why you're hearing it with the Oilers, with uh, CU, Matt Benning, and you may find that on most NHL teams, there's one or two guys that are, that are on that list where either the team locks them up early with a contract where they have the certainty of knowing what it's going to be or at all costs they're just avoiding that uh, that arbitration thing and and make the same decision that uh, Arizona made with Josh Archibald last year. And that market could get flooded right at the last minute with quality players and guys that are going to be forced really to sign cheap contracts. But the guys without contracts yeah. are in a tough spot. I don't know how much the teams would even be worried about arbitration this year. They might be, but like if the arbitrators are if if the arbitrators are sane, well, they'll see the economics of the NHL and they're they're gonna have they're gonna have to reset because what this is really about, I would say, is is not so much a fear of arbitration. That that's a factor. That's one mm -hmm. of the variants uh, variables. But the real thing is they just want to sign these players for less. They're uh, in this market. They're not a uh, fantasy is not worth three million. He's worth maybe two. I'm two and a half tops, I'm guessing. So that's what this is about, getting players at the right price for your team because the market, as you say, is going to be quite a bit different. And um, so, yeah, with, with Ennis, 
who's going to be available? Can you get someone better than Tyler Ennis? He has a history of injury. He's not a young player. He's a little older, but I really loved how he played with the Oilers. I thought he was really good with, uh, with, uh, in a top six role. He, he, uh, looked like he could fill in there at the least. And if he can, if you have him on the fourth line, then you got another guy who can skate on the bottom end of your roster. So I, I liked Ennis. If he's healthy, I hope he comes back. Shane and Kara, who are also going to get to here. Right. Um, Listen, if, if it was the other way around and Shane had the contract for $1.2 million next year and Kara didn't, I'd, I'd be thinking, great, because Shane, I think, is a better player. He's the better um, defender by far at even strength. Kara still struggles struggles to cover the slot, and he struggles giving away the puck in his own zone. Kara's more of a physical player, maybe has a bit more offense, maybe. Uh, but I think in terms of being the real deal on the penalty kill, and there's some question, like, was that Oilers penalty kill, you know, is it sustainable? Can they keep right. doing that? And uh, that's a that's a very valid question. But Almost I think Shane... certainly not, my yeah. opinion. But I think Shane is, is, like, he was one of the absolute keys on that penalty kill. He's a very smart penalty killer. He's an excellent penalty killer. And I'm not so sure Kara... I think Kara's pretty good. He had good results, uh, but I think Shane. I'm much more convinced that next year, if you're counting on somebody to carry your penalty kill, it's Shane's a much better bet than Juju Kara. So, where this is all heading is, if the Oilers can trade Kara, there's apparently interest in physical players in in the East. So let's say you have Cassian, Chase on, and Kara. You move out one of them in a deal. Mm-hmm. We don't know who 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 that might be to change kind of this, get a little bit more speed or some offense in your attack, which the Oilers also need. Then maybe if it's, if it is Kara, who would be my preference of those, those guys to get moved out probably, then you, Shan might, might make sense. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of hold on all of them until you, on a certain level until you, because the, everything is so up in the air right now, you don't know what's going to happen. So I, I, Shane, yeah, could he come back at the right price and help out the team as a four-fine center? Yes, he he certainly could do that. And uh, Anna's same deal, and and Kara, I I I don't haven't seen enough of Judor Kara to say anything. But if you can move him, move him at this point. I'm not. Although I liked his play in the playoffs, I just he's just been too inconsistent, Bruce, for too long. And and I think the others can do better. Now, well, Shane, the other thing he brings is um. Uh, solid experience and decent results in the on the faceoff dot, and that was something of value to the Oilers. Unfortunately, he's a lefty, but uh, most of the options are um, lefties. I mean, but there will be other uh, potential three Cs on the market. The the downside of Shane was that even strength, uh, every teammate that he played with uh, saw the results worsen when they were playing with Shane as opposed to playing away from Shane. And part of that was probably when they were with him, they got more of the grunt minutes that Shea intended to get, the more exactly. own, own zone starts yeah, and exactly. so on. But uh, uh, on the surface, he dragged down the goal score percentages of basically all of the guys that he played with any significant minutes with, all of them, all, every last one of them. Like I had a long list of 14 guys, and they all were a couple of percent to... Like in a couple of cases, it was just ridiculous that they were just so yeah. much different with that were without him. That uh, was a bit of an eye popper to look at that. Yeah, fair enough. And and Shane, um, you know, wasn't <laughs> he wasn't a brilliant even strength player. But you know, there was a moment, Bruce, where they I, I think so much of hockey is getting the right combinations of players together on the ice. And Shane spent a lot of time with time with Kara. And I've said this before a million times, like these two big slow players together on the ice at the same time, that did not work at all, did not come close to working. And um, we saw it in the fourth game of the playoffs was just eye-popping to me that they they would go back to that. But when Shan was teamed up for a short time before Negard got hurt in January with Negard, Shan, and Archibald, that line, I, I haven't looked at the numbers for that particular line combination but i thought they looked really good i thought they um that was the right idea put shane with two guys who are really strong defensive players as well and who can skate and suddenly you have a third line that finally made sense and it's such a shame that there were some injuries then to me and i think mcdavid uh or 
Cassian actually yeah. it was Cassian first. Got suspended. Yeah, Cassian got suspended. Th- those two things broke up that Oops. line. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, um, those two things broke up that great checking line. Now you could come back. You could. There's a chance you'll have that line together again this mm-hmm. coming year and see if that works because that really did work. And it gives me again. It's another thing. I you know the the Kara chase on Neil line also worked. So there's a couple things that make me think in combination with the right players, both Kara and Shan can contribute to the orders at even strength and in a winning way. But um, it's, it's obviously not a huge massive priority to keep either of them in the fold. Um, and the same goes with Ennis. I agree with your take that uh, one of the two will be back Kara or Shan. And the overwhelming factor at this moment in time is that yeah. Kara has a contract and Shane does not. So yeah. the default position seems to be that Kara's the guy who'll be will be coming back to uh, 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 to the Oilers. And of course, you know, trades happen. There, there's. I mean, it's very hard to predict the trade market. Uh, uh, but. Uh, that's the other way. I mean, the order's got 12 forwards under contract already. So these guys, Ennis, uh, Shane, and Athanasiu, all three, uh, are potentially in you know in a spot of bother um, just because there's so much competition and they're maybe looking to change things up. I wonder, you know, Broberg, Philip Broberg got off to that great start, three points in his first game, and then the highlight reel plays in the preseason. He, yeah. But the, the most important thing was he played, I think, 22, 23 minutes, if I am if I recall correctly, in the first game for Sheleftia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and um, the fact that he's being used as the number one D-man on that team is just thrilling, Bruce. Like, that's I was hoping he'd be in the top four. But the fact that, you know, he's in that top pairing and finally, yeah. you know, getting chances on the power play, taking advantage mm-hmm. of them. You know, it's interesting. I, I just wish that, you know, in some ways the trading deadline was a month later because if they'll, they'll have at least it would be nice to have like 10, 20 games of Broberg in Sweden because Bruce, if he, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Obviously, he's not going to put up three points a game, but let's say he, he, he gets, uh, you know, 0.7 points a game like he he's one of the top scoring def- defensemen in the Swedish league this year that speaks of a defenseman who's ready to play on the Oilers and could change the whole equation of how things go on the blue line and what the needs are and whether they're interested in a player like Oliver Ekman Larson and you know our, our colleague Kurt Levins raised the possibility that you're going to trade for Larson and, and maybe have them eat some of his salary, Arizona eats some of his salary. I don't know how willing, honestly, Arizona would be to do that. The whole idea is moving him out on a salary dump. But um, if we saw more of Broberg, we might think, is that really what you want to do is yeah. spend $8.25 million? I mean, honestly, Bruce, I don't like that. Oh, I just seven like years. It. Seven years. Seven years. Like, you know, when, when you've you have already Philip Broberg got, coming up. You've already got uh, uh, two... Uh, Top four left-handed defensemen. You got Caleb Jones, and then in, in the pipeline, you got Philip Broberg. Like, is that your first priority? You got other problems to fix. And, yeah. In, in my view, uh, Bro. I mean, the good news about Broberg is, I mean, not only is the coach giving him that opportunity with that ice time, uh, but it suggests to me that he's basically taken a big step forward and has seized the opportunity and is forcing yeah. them to, you know. To use him because he's the best option they got. That's you know that's the optimistic view. But uh, from this distance, it seems reasonable. Yeah, it was interesting. It was either Jonathan Willis or Alan Mitchell did a big thing on Broberg. I think it might have been maybe both of them, where they looked at like similar age defensemen in the mm-hmm. Swedish Hockey League and just how hard it is to tell yeah. based on their scoring as an 18 year old where they're going to go offensively. Scoring, yeah. So because sometimes they're used in a strictly defensive role and they're obedient, you know, they might be an obedient player who just, if your role is defense, that's what you do in your 14 minutes of ice time because you don't want to go out of the lineup because that's the next step, right? So we don't know where Broberg, he was playing against adults last year and he, he was getting regular playing time, which to me was, that was the goal and he, he succeeded in doing that. But anyway, it's kind of, it has me dreaming a little bit to see the highlight reel images and the the scoring. It's like Bruce, that one breakout play where he went back and retrieved oh, the puck. Man. That was a that was you know, 
He and, looked and like Miro Haskinen. He looked like Miro Haskinen on that play. If you just said, looked, this is Miro Haskinen playing in the Swedish League, I would have said, yep. He looked like Paul Coffey. I mean, oh. he just, he, Bruce, he, that's what the level of skating that we saw on that play. It was, was un- sweet. And, and, you know, again, it's not the NHL. And it, I don't know if that was an exhibition game or not. I think that was still an exhibition game. But nonetheless, that was, that was kind of a, that was absolutely eye-popping. Uh, that kind of play um, from Broberg and uh, cutting up the middle of the ice and hitting a guy for a breakaway pass. Wow. Yeah, he beat wow. two, guy, two, two guys in, in sort of half a second with, uh, you could call it one extended move or two quick moves and, and, and was able to keep the puck under control, head up, bang, on the tape of the guy at the far blue line for a breakaway. It was just sweet to watch. And he was flying. Like you look at that video, and it's, you know the four checkers were doing what four checkers to do, and you know he just—it was a hockey situation, and he won the day with just a superior speed, skill, and and uh, execution. A lot of you know, now again, we're not. Who knows how he's going to turn One out? A lot, play. lot comes down to. But his coach already said last year he loves this player. He thinks he's the most talented Swedish defenseman that he's seen that he's you know in decades. That's and, a great Frederick Olison, right? Yeah, which was kind of a <laughs> kind of a sobering comparison on a certain level. Uh, oh, that's a good NHL player for a lot of was, years. He he was. He, he, I I just seem to remember the Oilers destroying Freddie Olison. That's my that's my uh, that's my. I remember him destroying the Oilers, frankly. But. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm glad to see that. But yeah, pretty exciting okay. stuff with uh, with um, with Broberg, and um, so we'll see. If he can continue and, you know, a few more games of that would be good heading into. The, I don't think the orders are actually that in on Ekman Larson. I just I can't see. Here's here's why. I just think Ekman Larson really, if, if he's going to be moved, it's going to be to a team that doesn't have Clefbaum and Nurse and Jones and Broberg and Sam. Marie. It's going to be to a team with a crying need for a left shot D man who's willing to pay more than the orders, who's willing to take on all of that salary. Uh rather than just part of it and who doesn't have a 12 million dollar player and already an 8.5 million dollar player on their roster some other there's going to be more demand from another team for ekman larson than there will be on the order so even if the orders were interested in they're just probably they probably are i just don't see that happening uh let's just finish off quickly bruce with mike smith you're, you're going to be we'll, we'll be writing about that soon um Keep hold or fold. I'm going to go with definitely fold. His save percentage the last two years has been subpar. He's not getting any younger. Um, there's going to be better options. Yep. So yeah, keep your options open. Maybe you have to return to to him. But come on, it's time. It's time to move. There's going to be better options than than Smith. Uh, probably for less money. Yeah, well, Ken Holland, I mean, he recently was quoted as saying that one of his options is Mike Smith because you know he he's you know, the guy who was in the job last year. Uh, we can argue about how well he did the job. Some people think he's the worst goalie in the NHL. I think he was the worst goalie in the NHL for December. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the season, uh, he wasn't that bad. I mean, his his stats were substantially below Koskinen, except for in the all-important, and people hate the stat for goalies, wins and losses. Um, but the team played pretty well in front of Smith, and he seemed to be an inspirational sort. And, I mean, Holland's just giving the guy due respect by saying he's he's you know in the mix and he's just telling other teams, well, we're you know uh, we have lots of options, so we don't have to pay your price to get your guy. In fact, he apparently already said that to Pittsburgh about Matt Murray, uh, and that's good. I mean, why close the door? Uh, I just you know I don't see them opening reopening the door for Mike Smith. I think uh, his. Uh, um, Unfortunately, his uh, his very difficult performance in Game One of the playoffs uh, is uh, the bad taste in the mouths of everybody. Unfortunately, but uh, uh, he's um, uh, clearly that's a position that that they can upgrade, and they might have to pay more for it, or they may not. I mean, there's there's lots of different options out there. You can go out and get a goalie like Aaron Dell, and not play him, pay him in for that guy, and as a tandem with Koskinen. That's not too bad. And, you know, the key here is Koskinen. He's under contract, and he's uh, 
he's a better goalie than some were aiding for. Like statistically, he shows up really well. And I know uh, Kevin Woodley, uh, the regular guest on the uh, Jason Greger show from In Goal magazine, and an expert on goalies. I love his commentary, and he he thinks quite highly of Koskinen. He points out that, you know, in some of these more advanced ways of measuring goalies, you know, he's in the top half of. Uh, you know, in the top 15, top 10 in the league and, and a number of uh, different metrics. So uh, yeah. he's not the problem. We're, with Koskinen, we have a little, everyone, I think, in the oil country has a little bit of recency bias against him because he, he didn't he didn't come up with that big game in the playoffs. I would say that he came up about half the times he played in the NHL this season. He actually came up with that big game where he was better than the, the other team's goalie more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, um, some games, he was just a wall. Like he did the, he, he had the other team so freaked out that they were missing the net consistently by the third period. He was just so big in the net and so well positioned and reading the game correctly. That didn't happen in the playoffs. He was out of kilter. The whole defense was out of kilter. They weren't, you know, the owner's defense was abysmal. And man, did they ever have a lot of bad breaks, Bruce? Like I, I've been, I've been watching the playoffs, just the highlights and what I notice is all of the goals that are scored on double screens, double screen the net and hope it goes in. And that's like a third. It seems like, or, you know, it takes a bounce off someone's stick who's trying to block the shot. That's about at least a third of the goals, it strikes me. But in the Oilers series, the Oilers had lots Chicago of goals. Was the Chicago got them again and again and again. Now, they didn't always score on the, that kind of goal, but they did repeatedly. They did get four or five of right. six Six of those they got goals. nine goals on point shots. Yeah, Chicago, and I mean, whether it was a you know a rocket that went in, or whether it was deflected by a Chicago player in front that wasn't covered, or whether it was went off an Oiler, Chris Russell typically, and went in the net or whatever. <laughs> there was different ways that Even that bare, damn yeah. puck kept going into the damn net. But it was uh, uh, <sighs> it was um, uh, watching. You know, at the time we were sort of going, why aren't they covering? Why aren't they? You know, why is all this happening? What's wrong with them? And the more playoff games I see, the more all the teams are doing this. Like you say, setting up the big double, triple screens in front, sifting the puck into traffic and and hoping for the bounce. I mean, I've seen a couple that literally went off the ass of a guy in front of the net and bounced into the top corner. <laughs> you know, when you talk about those kind of goals, well, they've literally happened. And any number of sort of defensemen forward comes out to block the shot it's a shaft of his stick it bounces down on the ice and rockets over the goalie's shoulder into the top corner i mean it's indefensible so you might think well that's a 50 foot shot it shouldn't go in but the goalie almost has no chance if the deflection goes a certain way right and we're just seeing it over and over again it's so so random it's frustrating as a hockey fan to see such randomness deciding so many games and unfortunately, the Oilers series, I would say there was a lot of randomness in that decision. Chicago did hit a lot of goalposts, though, too. Like, it's, it, it would be interesting to go back over the series and count, like, actually count the goalposts and count the, the random shots that went in. Like, try to figure out the luck factor in that series. Yeah. Actually have five games. It would be a lot of watching of hockey. But, I'm, you know, we're going to have a bit of a break in November. I have all of them on that. my PVR and well, I maybe we'll split it up. I and, can't bear to watch them yet. Maybe, maybe I'll eventually maybe get to the point where up. I can bear to watch them. You watch two, I'll watch two and we'll, we'll do a random. Like we'll, you we'll get think, game one. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll figure out, we'll see how desperate we get for uh, content, Bruce, in uh, right. in uh, November, early November, or late October. Um, but I'm kind of curious about doing that, actually. And maybe there's other things that we could think about that we could look at in those in those right. games that are appropriate to study. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're both saying fold on uh, Mike yeah. Smith. What about the last thing, just real quick? The it was brought up. Craig Button said uh, of TSN that the drafting of um, Askarov. And his first name escapes me right now. The Russian goalie, Yaroslav um, Askarov, uh, would be a LeBron James slam dunk if Askarov was available to the Oilers mm-hmm. at that that pick. May, may well be the case, Bruce. Like the Oilers have not done like they've in the first round of the past. They've drafted Grant Fuhr and Devin Dubnik. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's against the the wisdom of the analytics um, that. Um, Drafting goalies is a good idea. Like if you're gonna, if you have a high pick, what you want to do is first round pick, take a forward, 
because mm-hmm. NHL scouts are best at identifying forward talent. They're second best at identifying defensive talent. Mm-hmm. And they're third best, considerably worse at identifying goalie talent. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I'm hoping with their 14th overall pick and with the high number of highly skilled forwards that the Oilers take a forward in this draft. And Askarov would run completely against that analytical thrust. Uh, and, but again, I haven't watched these players, so it's hard. Overall, I've seen a bit of Askarov and, uh, at, the, at the U18s and, and so on. And yeah. uh, very, very good uh, netminder. Uh, the thing about goalies, I mean, people say don't waste the first round pick on the goalie. But if you look at the history of first round picks and goalies, there's some mighty fine goalies. You know, the, the, the truly exceptional ones. That got picked in the first round. I mean, you talk about Grant Fuhrer, or Tom Barrasso, or Roberto Luongo, you know, Marty Brodeur, Carey Price, uh, Andrew Vasilevsky that's in the Stanley Cup Finals. Tampa uh, decided to invest their first round pick in a goalie in 2012, and they got it right. And now they've never had to worry about that position again, you know, other than finding a backup, you know, that can go in and, you know, play play a handful of games and, uh, and, um, you know, spend the rest of the time being a supportive teammate, right? They got Curtis McElhaney, he's their backup now. And I mean, that's an ideal um, situation. But uh, it's a gutsy move. Tampa made the move, it paid off for them. And uh, you could find other examples where teams thought they were doing that and it didn't pay off. But uh, the truly exceptional goalies that have been drafted in the first round, a lot, a lot of them proved to be pretty exceptional and, and to, be, uh, to be fine goalies. And uh, there's more buzz about Askarov than there's been about any goalie in a while. So yeah. I don't. Th- I actually don't think he'll be there at 14. I think no, Carolina, that's... Carolina, who've had goaltending headaches of their own, I think they might uh, uh, invest in that position because they're pretty well stocked elsewhere in their yeah. organization, and they have a specific need there that they may just do what Tampa did all those years ago and say, we want this guy to solve this problem, done. You know, and the analytic trends are only worth so much. I mean, you know, you say don't draft a defenseman necessarily with a higher pick. But, I mean, how else do you get these really great defensemen? You know, so many of them are, are taken at the top end of the draft as well. And let's say Broberg does turn out. I mean, everyone was, not everyone, but many, many people were so sour mm-hmm. with the Broberg pick last year, right? Because there was all these American forwards. And then the sourness reached a new peak at the World Junior Tournament when Broberg played in a defensive role, didn't particularly stand out. And the guy that was taken just behind him in the draft, Trevor Zegras, was the, you know, the star attacker for the United States. Mm-hmm. Not that the Oilers would have taken Zegras. We have, like, if they had taken a forward, you know, one of the rumors is they would have, if Dylan Cousins had been there, is that the same right. draft? They would have taken him um, and not, not Broberg. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I, whoever the Oilers take, Bruce, I'm not going to sit there on draft day because I don't watch these players. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to say, I hope they got it right. Fingers crossed they got it right. Um, that's And that's yeah. as, about as good as I can do for the commentary. But, because even though I know a little bit about the draft analytics, I don't watch these players in you know 30, 40 times. So I can't really say. Yeah, well, casting judgment on a, uh, on 18-year-old kids because you wanted someone else is a little premature. Like, you got to give these time, guys room to grow. I'm I'm in low tides camp. Five years. You know, two years back in junior, three years of their entry-level contract. And then you got a pretty good idea of what you got. And an exceptional player you'll know earlier. And I'm hoping that's going to be the case with uh, uh, with Philip Brover. But they've got... Uh, Where are uh, we with Pugliarvi? Is this his fifth year? This, he was drafted in 2016, so yeah, this will so be this his is, draft plus five year coming up. This is it. This is it. Uh, it's a bit, it's a, it's a, a kind of a, uh, kind of a well, crystallization point for many players. And and everyone remembers in these draft conversations, they all remember the time they, that they wanted the Oilers to take a player. The Oilers didn't take that player and they rub it in the Oilers' face Alex forever. Alex like, Brinkat, man. Yeah, Matthew Alex Brinkat. But this, the same guy might have been the same guy pushing, oh, they should have taken Sam Bennett instead of Leon Dreisaitl, right? right? There was a yeah. huge faction of Oilers fans, very, very vocal, about taking Sam Bennett mm-hmm. over Leon Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, I, I always take it with a grain of salt when someone mm-hmm. holds themselves out as like, they should have listened to me and taken, 
taking uh, you know so and so in the draft. Um, and that's you know, part of just the you know the the, the pleasure of, the of being a hockey fan is you talk about the you Fair remember the, you remember Fair the enough. ones that that got away in your mind and so on. Yeah. And you just mentioned the magic name that we definitely need to talk about in this podcast briefly, which is Leon Dreisaitl and his fantastic uh, season, which saw him uh, uh, win one trophy as the objective best scorer in the league with on-the-ice results and then be recognized by both his peers with the um, Ted Lindsay Award and the experts, uh, pundits, uh, media folk that watch the game and vote that awarded him the Hart Trophy as the MVP. That's a nice hat trick. And the first All-Star team to boot. Nice yeah. season, Leon. That makes him, to me, that makes him the first star of the NHL season. Congratulations to Leon Dreisaitl. And you know what? If you are a Dallary Nakushkin fan, there's always next year. There is always <laughs> next year. Bruce... Let's leave it there. Let's do that. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. Yeah, thanks oh. for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.